after eight hours, a neurologist saw me. He wanted to see a CT scan. They saw that, no, it wasn't just a panic attack at all, but an ischemic cerebral stroke in my left and deep part. Also that it could be too late for me after eight hours. For sure, it was too late for the thrombolysis, so they had to intervene surgically. They use a catheter that was inserted into my femoral artery, the level of the groin. It go up to the vessel of my head and aspirated the blood clot. After two days, I opened my eyes again. I just remember some flashbacks from that day. My new life started on February 7, 17th. When I reopened my eyes, I was in intensive care where I stayed for four days. I remember that in a bed near mine, there was an old man with a bunch of tubes coming in and out. And, and in that moment, seeing him, I got scared for the first time. I remember also that when my father told me what happened to me, the first thing I thought was, oh crap, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I obviously didn't get the reach uh, of this event uh, and what this was going to do with, with my life. After a week, I moved into the stroke unit of the same hospital. I was still using the wheelchair, of course, and I was very weak, but thanks to my friends, they were always there for me. I struggled to communicate with them through a board where I wrote the most nonsense sentence ever, but little by little, I started to improve. I always said that I really hated that place that I used also to call Alcatraz, as it was on a little island. Now I have to admit that there I felt really protected and safe, as I knew that out of that hospital, I, I looked like a weirdo. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. In Italy, the 30-day mortality rate for all strokes ranges from 18 to 33%, and it rises to around 40% after a year. In this episode, we'll hear from Paola Telleroli from Florence, who suffered a stroke at the age of 30. My life was pretty easy. I worked at cardiology, where I was at my third year of postdoc in biostatistics. I used to teach at several courses. I was writing my fifth guidebook. I used to travel as much as I could, and I loved to play tennis, and I was also preparing myself for the B1 Chinese test. I had a lot of friends, and I was quite satisfied with my life, even though I just had two stressful period as I had severed relations with my parents and my beloved grandpa had just passed away. In that days, it happened to me quite often to being awakened by several cramps at my right calf, but I didn't give it so much weight. Apart from these small things, I was happy and uh, me and my boyfriend were planning to go abroad after my postdoc. As I just turned 30 and we certainly didn't expect what was going to happen to me. It was on Valentine's Day 
at that day, I had to set an exam for my student, but everything was going so well that I remember that I also decided to get off the bus and stop early to have a nice walk. Afterward, the plan was to go and go home, cook, have a quick dinner with a friend and go all together to the cinema. But uh, while we were cooking, I started playing with my cat. She didn't like me that much and uh, she scratched me on my cheek. She just ran away. But as it really hurt me, I ran her back to tell her to not do it again. But as soon as I reached her, I realized that I couldn't move my right part or even speak anymore. It was really quick. Luckily, my boyfriend, who was afraid that the cat had scratched me on my eye, followed me. So he saw what was going on. Um, he carried me to the sofa and tried to make me move or speak, but there was no way. Luckily, our flatmate Clara was an nurse, and as soon as she saw me, she decided to call the ambulance. But from the beginning, my case wasn't taken seriously because of my age. Even afterward, at the ER, the doctors were convinced that I was under drugs or that I had taken some psychopharmacological drugs. Even though I was half paralyzed, uh, my boyfriend had told them that I was a smoker, not a hardcore smoker, but I used to smoke about five cigarettes a day and that I was taking the pill which had been prescribed 10 years earlier for a huge ovarian size that I had. But nevertheless, they even downgraded my code from yellow to green. And they told my boyfriend that uh, all I had was just a panic attack. And so after eight hours, a neurologist saw me and he had some doubts. He wanted to see a C80 scan with contrast from where they, they saw that, no, it wasn't just a panic attack at all, but um, ischemic cerebral stroke in my left and deep part. Also that it could be too late for me after eight hours. For sure, it was too late for the thrombolysis. So they had to intervene surgically. They use a catheter that was inserted into my femoral artery, at the level of the groin, and it go up to the vessel of my head and aspirated the blood clot. Obviously, under general anesthesia, and the operation lasted about an hour and a half. And now I know also that I was really lucky to find a surgeon brave enough to, to do it because after all that time, it really became risky, a risky operation. Paula's clot removal surgery was successful. After two days, I opened my eyes again. I just remember some flashbacks from that day. My new life started on February 7, 17th. When I reopened my eyes, I was in intensive care where I stayed for four days. I remember that in a bed near mine, there was an old man with a bunch of tubes coming in and out. And, and in that moment, seeing him, I got scared for the first time. Even though until I saw my friend, I didn't realize that I still couldn't move my right part or speak. I remember also that when my father told me what happened to me, the first thing I thought was, oh crap, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I obviously didn't get the reach of, of this event uh, and what this was going to do with, with my life. After a week, I moved into the stroke unit of the same hospital. 
I was still using the wheelchair, of course, and I was very weak. But thanks to my friends, they were always there for me. I struggled to communicate with them through a board where I wrote the most nonsense sentence ever. But little by little, I started to improve. I remember also that I stressed a lot my boyfriend because I wanted to go home reading the book I have just started, but I really couldn't get a word. Then I wanted to correct the exams of my students, but again, I wasn't able to understand anything. And the nurse had to take the exams out of my hand. I was really ashamed. I felt so stupid when the doctors showed me drawings of objects that I obviously knew, but didn't remember their names. I started to justify myself saying that I knew them. There was also a Chinese girl in my room and I tried to speak Chinese with her unsuccessfully. I couldn't remember anything I used to know, but at least I could recognize the friendly faces. Um, I always had in my mind the feelings of what I wanted to say, but I really didn't know how to transform it into something intelligible. So I just tried and tried. And in that way, I invented a lot of new nonsense words. But uh, I can tell you that they had to be really funny from the reactions of my friends. Then, after more or less a week from my, from my stroke, I moved to a specialized hospital. There, my first roommate was a girl of 25 years recovering from her third stroke. My life there was um, pretty busy. I was doing a lot of uh, physiotherapy, like minimum four hours a day, but sometimes also six hours a day. I was doing exercises with a neurologist and with a speech therapist. I had also homework to do and I started reading again and understanding what I was reading finally. There was a really good physiotherapist who took my case to heart, Carmine is his name, and only thanks to him after just a week I started to walk again and then he wanted to teach me again how to ride the bicycle. There I had everything I needed and even though I always said that I really hated that place that I use also to call Alcatraz as it was on a little island. Now I have to admit that there I felt really protected and safe as I knew that out of that hospital I, I looked like a weirdo. Coming up, Paola explains the stroke's impact on her mental health. So that, that day, for the first time in my life, I started to be afraid of ending up living on the street sooner or later because of the uncertainty of my job. What would happen if I had another stroke? Would I be strong enough to recover once more? Or would I be away from my boyfriend? What about my career? And the importance of saying no. In that way, I have more time for me for uh, doing physiotherapy, for example, or to sleep also because now I'm always tired and uh, I have to, to sleep a lot just to feel normal. And I think I'm not the only one. The time is really precious and I want to spend my time for doing the things that really matters. Let's hear how Paula coped with her new life after a two-month stay in hospital. I was so scared that I cried all my tears the days before because I had the feeling that the worst was still to come. And somehow it was true. 
because I had to face a really tough period. I had to face the fact that I could never come back to my old life and the real world scared me a lot. I felt like a weirdo among normal people. I had to adopt strategies to avoid letting them know that I was kind of different, such as I didn't talk at all, mostly because I mumbled and I'm a phasic. Out there, I discovered how expensive it is to be sick and how desperately difficult it is to find somebody that knows how to deal with my problems. I also discovered from my first psychologist that it is very dangerous for me to uh, have a child, for example, as the cause of my stroke is still unknown and it is strongly discouraged for me to try to have one. In order to try to understand the reason, I had also implanted a loop recorder that records my heartbeat in order to see if uh, my heart is dancing with uh, its own rhythm. And I remember that when they implanted it, they didn't even wait for the anesthesia to take effect. So I passed away immediately afterward. The next day, a nurse called me to tell me that my heart had stopped already twice. When I asked her what this meant, she said that uh, it could be either uh, I need a pacemaker or that I was like the opossum who pretend to be dead in face of danger. So I told her that maybe it was just the fainting. And luckily, so far, three years and that later, it didn't happen again. And it looks like my heart is doing its job pretty well. <laughs> so it shouldn't be the case. Um, but so far, I, don't, I still don't know the, the cause of my stroke. As soon as I came home, I decided to color my hair because I didn't want to let people focus on my eyes that uh, to me were so terribly different that I didn't think about how people were going to view me from the outside. For example, on the bus uh, where I can't balance anymore. And since I have um, an invisible disability, nobody could know the real reason as to why I couldn't balance, but would assume that I must be drunk. So even if I feel bad, Taking a seat on the bus, I really have to if I don't want to fall down. After four months, I had to come back to work, even though I wasn't able even to move the mouse of the PC or the computer, as I wasn't being paid in the meanwhile for four months, I really had to. And I remember that that day, I was really excited to be going back to my life, my whole life, but while I was uh, working with, with the street to my trade food of pastries to my office, a woman recognized me for the books uh, I had written. She stopped me to ask uh, how I was doing. She had heard of my stroke and uh, she had had one too. So finally, I was talking with somebody that could understand me and how I was feeling, my fears, and uh, who was also able to give me some suggestions. I was really happy. Until she asked me questions that made my world collapse. <laughs> she asked me, what about epilepsy? How could I be so stupid to don't think that a stroke wouldn't have other adverse events like this? So far, I haven't experienced that, luckily. Another conversation that made me feel that way was with a doctor 
who told me that I was at risk of relapse for the next five years. So that, that day, for the first time in my life, I started to be afraid of ending up living on the street sooner or later because of the uncertainty of my job. What would happen if I had another stroke? Would I be strong enough to recover once more? Or would I be a weight for my boyfriend? What about my career? So uh, it was immediately clear to me that I had to have a plan. And the only plan that came to my mind was to find a new job, more secure and less stressful for the next five years. Not long after, I found one and we moved to another city. But quite soon, I realized how boring this work was. And I started to hate it, to feel depressed and betrayed also by my home country as I, I wasn't and I'm still not recognized with a legally protected status, despite the fact that I'm still not able to end right anymore, or the fact that I feel exhausted after eight hours of work, or the chronic pain that I'm always feeling. So I recovered a little bit, but I'm not, and I will never be uh, again the, the same Paola of before my stroke. And finally, Paola gives her advice to other stroke survivors. To not be ashamed. Somebody asked me if I'm not ashamed of speak of what happened to me, but no, I can't feel that way. This is something that could happen to anybody and I don't have to feel that I've done anything to deserve it. And also I would like to tell them that even if I know, I really know that it's so difficult to stay positive um, and sometimes I, I, I admit that I'm the first that thinks that I cannot stand it anymore because it's really a job to taking care of ourselves. I want to say to them that we will improve somehow, little by little. That's a way. It's a long way, but um, we will recover. I want to tell them that I have uh, understood something from the, this stroke because it teaches me somehow <laughs> to, to take my time because it's really important to slow down and taking our time and also to say no if you actually don't want to do something. That's a thing that I, I never done before. In that way, I have more time for me for uh, doing physiotherapy, for example, or to sleep also because now I'm always tired and uh, I have to, to sleep a lot just to feel normal. And I think I'm not the only one. The time is really precious and I want to spend my time for doing the things that really matters. Paola's stroke was entirely unexpected and made her anxious about the future of her career and her relationships with the people she loves. But after learning to give herself the time she needs to recover, she has a much more positive outlook. Once again, thank you for subscribing to Stroke Stories and for your ratings and comments on the episodes. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and you can share a stroke story with us, please contact via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.